In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I hope I win the lottery this time. We spent a lot of money on Christmas presents this year. I hope my stock investment pays big dividends this year, right? That would help too. I hope my political candidate wins the election this time. My friends, there are two very different kinds of hope in this world. The ones I've just illustrated are examples of what we might call secular hope. And as one man said in our men's Bible study this past Wednesday morning, hope isn't much of a strategy at all, at least in the secular sense. After all, the foundations of secular hope are fraught with chances, with changes, with variables. In all honesty, my chances of winning the lottery are probably pretty small. The chances and the changes in the stock market can be very volatile. Voters in an election can swing one way or the other. Hope, at least in the secular sense, often amounts to little more than wishful thinking. And the fruit of this secular hope can sometimes taste very sour. It can foster a frustration that comes from failure. It can produce a futility that leads to fatalism. Let's take it even one step further as C.S. Lewis posits this idea. He says, even the most hopeful hopes aren't ultimately fulfilling. Even a good marriage, a perfect vacation, that stimulating job, though they're good, yet even then a certain longing still remains in us. It can leave us chasing after the next thing, hoping that that next thing is the real thing. And what about this wonderful experience called love? in the context of secular hope. Well, when we think of the word hope in purely secular terms, we have to agree that death does win, not love. In fact, speaking in secular terms, death can actually appear as mercy, bringing a certain sense of relief from our unfulfilled hopes, becoming the only way out of this otherwise endless purgatory of frustration and futility. But again... We Christians think about hope differently than the rest of the world. For us, death is not the end. It's a beginning. It's a little more like a boarding station on the train to eternal life. So welcome to the second sermon in our sermon series. You have heard that it was said you can't take it with you when you go. But I say to you, there are certain things that you can take with you. And hope is the second of these things. Indeed, hope in the secular world is not much of a plan at all. But as it turns out, hope in the sacred world is the plan. Because hope in the sacred world has a completely different meaning than hope in the secular world. In the secular world, I may hope that my team wins the game but I can't control whether or not the star player gets injured on the field or whether or not the other team makes a somewhat miraculous last-minute play and steals the game away. But in the sacred world, the foundation of our hope is altogether different. Hope in the secular world may be wishful thinking, but hope in the sacred world has to do with fulfillment. 
And it goes something like this. Because God has fulfilled certain promises in the past according to His will, we can be certain that He will fulfill the other promises in the future according to His will. And our readings from this morning's lessons and carols speak powerfully to this truth. Again, from our reading in Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked, note the past tense, the people who walked in darkness have now, present tense, seen a great light. This tells us that God is doing something and it's going to be good. From our reading in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem that her warfare now is over. In other words, can you see it? That thing that we have hoped for is getting even closer. And how do we know? What is the basis of this prophetic hope? It is the fact that God has already done things like this before. From Abraham, who we read about, to Moses to the judges, to the prophets, and the priests, and the kings, our hope is fulfilled because of things that have happened in the past. And again, I love the way C.S. Lewis talks about this sacred hope in mere Christianity. This is so good. He says, Creatures weren't born with desires unless those desires can be fulfilled. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. And then he goes on to say this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, maybe, just maybe, that means we weren't made for this world. Maybe, just maybe. We were meant for another world. And maybe, he says, this world is simply meant to arouse that desire in us. So good and so powerful because it's so true. What might that desire be? Let's go back to the beginning. Speaking now again in plain terms, does death win or does love win? Well, if death wins, then I can't think of anything more meaningless than love. Because it's futile. Yet here is where the Apostle John tells us in Revelation 21. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away. Then I saw also this holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Isn't your imagination just running wild with the possibilities right now of what God is going to fulfill? And then he says, it was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's that temporal thing that's pointing toward a spiritual reality, isn't it? It says a bride prepared for a bridegroom. And it gets even better. He says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, and it was saying this, Behold, God's dwelling place is with the human race. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will always, always, always be with them. 
he concludes this way, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death or sadness or wailing or pain for the old order has passed away from the lips of Jesus himself. Behold, I make all things new. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Now I ask you, is that simply wishful thinking? Listen to this beautiful and powerful conversation from John chapter 14. Jesus says to His followers, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may also be. And then one of his followers, Thomas, maybe sometimes Chris, right? Says to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him those words we all know, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So powerful, so plain, so hopeful. Jesus then says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you do know him. And you have seen him. Why? Because Jesus represents him. This wonderful mystery of this triune God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God sent His only begotten Son. And what did Jesus do there? He took all of Thomas's doubt and all of Thomas's fear and He reassured him with faith, hope, and love. What is faith? As we said last week, it's trusting that Jesus can and will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What is hope? Hope is the assurance of God, what God will do because of what God already has done. I go there to prepare a place for you and I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Finally, brothers and sisters, can we just consider, therefore, what we're really about to celebrate tomorrow evening? From our reading in Luke chapter 1 this very morning, here again is the angel Gabriel speaks to the Virgin Mary. He says this, For you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son. You shall call His name Jesus, for He will be great, the Son of the Most High. He will sit on the throne of His father David, and He will rule over Jacob, and of His kingdom there shall be no end. No, there are some things you cannot take with you when you go. But I say there are. And as it turns out, these things that we can take with us, they're the better portion anyway. 
Because if faith is the bridge, as we talked about last week, and if hope is the place and the people and the promises, then the motivation surely must be love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all who believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So I'm going to steal from Father Mark a couple of ideas that he's going to talk about tomorrow night. I'm I'm the rector. I get to do that. Listen, my friends. In this world where love is talked about in every way except what it really is. I want to say this to you. Love is not an abstract idea. Love is a person. And he has a name. And his name is Jesus. Love is a person, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And tomorrow you will find him once again wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, subjecting himself to this world. That God would become completely dependent upon Mary and Joseph for sustenance, for survival. It's crazy, isn't it? And yet it's true. And so this love will once again take us on this journey from Christmas to the cross, carrying us through the bitter pain of His own crucifixion to the glory of His resurrection. And once again, you and I have a standing invitation to join Him on this journey. After all, He's doing it for you. And He's doing it for me. And if I counted correctly this last week, there are 16 weeks between Christmas and Easter. 16 opportunities for us to come right here every Sunday. 16 opportunities for us to say, Lord, what about this pain? Lord, what about this problem? 16 weeks where we can take all of our fears and anxieties and concerns and pains and problems and we can bring them to the very foot of God's altar. And we can lay them down at the base of the cross. 16 opportunities between Christmas and the cross where we can come here and give God everything that we have and everything that we are and be reassured of this one thing that matters the most. That we are loved. And that love does win. Love wins. For as Paul says to us in these blessed words from 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfection comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Love.